HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for... $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition pizza pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love, all for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Rita Jamey. We'll talk to Rita about food, wine, bubbles, hospitality, women and wine, and more. We'll taste some La, La Caravelle that Rita was so gracious to bring in for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Born in Saudi Arabia to an Iraqi family, Rita Jamey grew up in Lebanon and Switzerland. She received a degree in economics from the University of Geneva, working with her dad upon graduation. She met her French husband, Andre, with deep ties to hospitality and wine, exposing Rita to a life of restaurants, wine, and champagne. Rita is the co-owner and chief bubble officer of La Caravelle Champagne, and we're going to give you a lot of background on that. Welcome to the Great Nation, Rita. Thank you. Great to be here, Sam. I've been thinking about having you on for a while for a lot of different reasons. Champagne, hospitality, women and wine. So awesome. we're finally here. Um, Rita, give our listeners a little context about who you are. And I think a good time to start, I mentioned you had met your husband. Mm-hmm. You have a very colorful background. Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Lebanon. A lot Iraq, of steps. Lebanon, a lot right. of steps. And then you meet a Frenchman who That's is it. steeped in hospitality. So take me from there to the current. Okay. Uh, I should say that I've always uh, studied the, the French uh, uh, school. So I was a French educated. French is my main language. So there is already a little conduit. Uh, to Andre. When I was living in Switzerland, um, one of my friends um, 
had uh, said to me one day, you know, you should meet my uncle. And I'm thinking, uncle, that sounds a little, you know, older. Old guy. Older. And in fact, given the fact that Andre is the 10th of 10 children. That's why. His uh, niece, who is daughter of the sister number two, was practically my age. So uh, Andre is uh, just seven years older than me. So it's perfect. So what year was this? Uh, this was in 1977. Okay. 76, rather, yeah. And things happened quickly with you and things Andre? Things happened rather quickly, <laughs> okay. yes. And it was a bit of a long-term relationship, a long-distance, rather, right. because we, I lived in Geneva, he lived in Paris. So we'd meet either in Geneva or in Paris or in, in uh, Burgundy, which was our middle ground. Good, fun, middle right. place. Yes. So what, what happens where you decide, because I know you left Geneva, mm-hmm. You just decided it was enough, I have to be with Andre? When we got married, a little before getting married, I moved to Paris. And then we got married in Geneva. Then, obviously, we settled in Paris. Only uh, a few months after we uh, settled in Paris, the family sold the Bristol Hotel. So go backwards and tell people Andre's family background, because that's impressive. It is quite a beautiful story. So Andre's father, Hippolyte, founded the Bristol Hotel in 1925. And, uh, Considered he, one of the great hotels of the world, right? biggest palaces in sure. the world, yes. And with his um, wife, Yvonne, they had 10 children. <laughs> hmm. No twins, I should say. Okay. Um, and uh, Andre being the 10th of these 10 children, the youngest of these 10 children. So Andre was actually literally born in a room at the Bristol Hotel, room 732. Okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> And uh, he grew up in the hotel, and then they lived, uh, after that, they lived a little outside of Paris. But that was beyond his world. He was like in this beautiful bubble. Right. And so when they sold the hotel, it was very hard for Andre because... How old was he? Uh, Andre was um, about uh, 35, okay. 38, yeah. Was he working there and everything? He was working there. Full he was working there. And actually, everything. he another interesting thing is during uh, his tenure at the Bristol, he lived in New York for two or three years as a representative of the Bristol here because they had a lot of uh, right. customers, clients from, from the U.S. So, so the closing of the hotel is it, the event that creates you guys to move. It's not a closing. It's a sale. Sale, sale, sale. Yeah. Yeah, they sold it to actually a wonderful group, a German group, the Oetker Group, who then went on to do some beautiful renovations and kept really the spirit of my father-in-law. To this day, when we go to Paris, we stay there and they welcome us. They say, this is your home, which is really very touching. Yeah, a place like that. It's good karma. You want to keep the legacy and the history. Absolutely. All right, so you come to New York? We come to New York. Was New York the obvious choice? Um, or not necessarily? We had come to New York uh, because uh, during our honeymoon. And it's so interesting because I like, like to listen to my gut, what my gut says to me. And when we landed, it was my first time in the U.S., we land here and we're on our way from JFK to Manhattan. Not the most glamorous ride no. ever. Better than Newark, but R- not good at true. all. So I say to Andre, I want to live here. And he's thinking, oh, gosh. What is this? Right. <laughs> and I said, There's, this is it. You know, I, I know. I just love this country. And uh, so that's uh, my uh, love story with America started then. And So what are the first things, because we'll get to La Caravelle, mm-hmm. what are the first things you're both doing when you get here? When we get here, we had been promised by quote-unquote friends um, uh, a way, uh, a project where Andre could work and invest and another situation where we would get sponsored for the green card. And we get here for our with our little luggage for two months because right. we packed everything in France in a warehouse. And um, we realized after a few days that it ain't happening on both fronts. Oh, boy. So we're here. What do we do? What do we do? So we immediately turn to each other. We're not going back. We're here. We're going to make it work. Who do you know? Who do I know? Uh, with his long history of hotels, um, you know, he worked, he interned in some of the most beautiful palaces in the world in different cities. So he had connections in that world. And he just called and they, you know, the Tisch family and uh, the GM of the Lowe's, the Regency Hotel here. They're still says, there. Says Andre, well, great, come here, you'll work, and then we'll sponsor you for the green card. And that's how it started. So we're always very wow. um, yeah, grateful to to the Tisch family. So bring it up to when you, 
because there's probably a lot in between. But let's get to La Caravelle. La Caravelle. La Caravelle is was a is was an institution in New York. It yes. pre-existed you guys coming in. It did. But you tell me how you got to it, what year, and we'll talk about that a little. Yes. So La Caravelle was founded in 1960 by Robert Maison and Fred Decré. <clears throat> so when Andre, after Andre got his green card, he started to look for restaurant to do something, either open a restaurant or just see how he could fit into that world. Because it was kind of the conduit after hotel, the hospitality. So he had as his uh, quote-unquote uh, advisor, Robert Mizan, on a friendly basis. He'll present projects to him. And, and uh, interestingly enough, Robert always says, nah, not this one, nah, not that one. Then one day he says to Andre, why don't you come for lunch with me at La Caravelle? So they go, they have lunch, and then Robert says, I'm thinking of retiring. Would you want to buy my shares, my, my half of La Caravelle? So Andre says, sure, that would be great. So that's how it started in 1984. So right after that lunch, everything went into motion? Right after that lunch. You moved into, you know, working at La Caravelle? That's right. So that's Andre... What do you do? Do you so in the meantime, are you on the ground at the restaurant? Do you join them or not no, right bef- away? Before that, I should say that since you know when you apply for the green card, you can't really travel outside of the country, or you can travel but you can't come back in. Right. So Andre was kind of stuck here, and in the meantime, I I was offered a job at the French embassy here. They had the cultural services here. Makes sense. So then I got a diplomatic visa, so at least one of us could you go visit go the family. Right. So that's what I did, and then. Um, after the green card arrived, we started having babies. <laughs> right. And uh, I would call La Caravelle a baby, too. <laughs> right. So three sons uh, during this process. Well, so you were juggling a lot. We were juggling a lot. So at first, yeah. I didn't work at the restaurant. But right. then uh, shortly thereafter, uh, four years later, André bought his partner, who was then Roger Fessaguet, was the original, the chef at the what open. What year was that? Early 90s? This was in 88. That was yes. in 88. You mm-hmm. got there in 84, he bought in 88? Exactly. He okay. bought the second half in right. 88. So then I started to to uh, right. work, yes, at it the restaurant. It was all yours. Um, let's talk about La Caravelle a little, because even to this day, there was a handful of the best, finest, you know, revered French restaurants, and La Caravelle was always one of them. Yeah. Um, Tell me a little about it. You know, what made it different? I know you had some famous clientele, the murals. I mean, it was, it was. you know, when you look back, people yearn for that. They do. And actually, there's another interesting historical tidbit is that Andre's <clears throat> father's, grand, uh, his godfather, so his father's right. godfather, uh, <clears throat> was instrumental in bringing the restaurant, um, the Drouin, to operate the pavilion, remember the French, the, the world uh, exhibition, yes. the French pavilion was manned by Drouin restaurant in Paris. And it turned out to be, it turned into Le Pavillon, ah. which then was the genesis of all the major French restaurants of that era. Right. I remember La that. Côte Basque. Uh, sure. Uh, Le Cygne. Uh, Who was the famous person at? Henri Soulet. Right. Henri S-O-U-L-E. Soulet. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. He was sort of the patriarch exactly. of the and whole the two, movement in a the, way. Uh, totally. The two founders of La Caravelle worked at Le Pavillon. And one day they decided to open their own place. And uh, um, Ambassador um, uh, Kennedy heard that and he said, if you open, we'll be there from day one, which is what happened in September 1960. So this is John Kennedy's dad, Joe yes, Kennedy. exactly. The, the real ambassador. patriarch of that family. Who, totally. Right, who was an ambassador. Right. So picture this as a timing. Uh, okay. <laughs> they, they opened in September 1960, and thinking it's going to be like a little bistro. They didn't set out to do a fine dining establishment. And then uh, in, in uh, <clears throat> day one, the fa- Kennedy family dines there all the time. That's their new dining room. And in November, John is elected to be president of the United States. That's, Guess what the dad do, does? That's to the do craziest also. thing that could happen. Totally crazy. So they're catapulted to like that heights. Right. And when uh, the White House needed a, a chef, they would turn to the owners of La Caravelle and identify someone. You actually someone. recommended a chef It was, it was uh, Robert Maison, Fred de Cray, yes. René Verdon, who stayed at the now, White House. Now, did JFK Maison. come in at times? Yes, yes. And, it, and Jackie, Jackie continued probably she as she was her became a famous days. New Yorker. Exactly. Her I'm sure very that last was days. a good lunch spot for her. <laughs> um, and the other thing is two interesting things. 
some pretty damn good chefs came out of there. Yes. Um, and not necessarily your traditional French chefs. No. Nope. You, you change with the times. We and did. And the chefs reflected that. It was Talk a, about a gutsy a few move. People. Yeah. It was a gutsy move at the time because a French restaurant always had a French chef. And uh, we had met uh, Michael Romano while uh, he was staging in Switzerland. And uh, through a common friend of ours, uh, Professor Ahrens at the City Tech, he said, you should meet this young man. He wants to come back to the U.S. and do something. So we actually explored opening a restaurant with Michael Romano and before the Caravelle situation happened. And then things didn't really find a project that was viable. So they said, okay, we each go our own way, uh, you know, and keep in touch. So when André joined La Caravelle, the then chef, André Moisan, said, you know, I need to go work at a club. I don't want to work evenings anymore. I want to have my weekends and all that. So they need a chef. So André says, wait, this young man. Michael. He's, you know, yeah, exactly. Michael Romano, very, with a European sensibility, et cetera, et cetera. So they hired Michael Romano, and this was like a big, big shock. Uh, you know, the French dowager, as they called the restaurant, is hiring a non-French chef and an American one. Right. So that was amazing. And I, Michael was there how long? Michael was there for a few years, and actually he had the toughest job of all the chefs because when Michael arrived, the menu was huge. It was Escoffier time. Right. Previous century. And he, little by little, brought it to plating, you know, in the kitchen and more lighter ingredients, less preparations, etc. So it was a very spe special time to have Michael And Michael, you helped launch a career where Michael went on to become, yep. you uh, know, one of the great chefs in New York, absolutely. Union Square, yep. Cafe, yep. absolutely, um, and a few other places. But you also brought in another interesting the chef. Japanese if chef. You, right. If you think yes. bringing an American is, how about this move? Tell us about that. Exactly. So um, after, like, I would say two chefs later, because all these years, you know, we have think circumstances happen and you change chefs. And we had a little, one of the chefs had left abruptly and we needed a, a chef. So... Tadashi was uh, Tadashi Ono was working as a associate. He was making sauces there, and we said instead of looking out, 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 outside, let's just look who we have here. And we saw Tadashi very hardworking, very focused, and very good mentality also. So we said to him, Hey Tadashi, do you would you like to try for the summer? If it works for you, for the restaurant, more importantly for our guests, then we we can make a go of it. And that's what happened. And and then he became the chef, which was another shock. How long was he the chef? He was the chef for a good eight years. And that's a long time. That's a long time. Any and tenure for any place. And I'm sure he changed the menu he a did. bit too. He did. Because we had something, a very interesting structure of menu at La Caravelle. We had the classics, which we couldn't, we didn't want to touch. Right. The handful of dishes that will remain in the, on the menu no matter who the chef is. Right. And then the other part is chef's inspiration. So that, you know, for a chef... You wouldn't alienate your old exactly, clientele exactly. and you were able to yeah. stay with the time. It was a tricky thing to do to, so that you have your image doesn't appear, you know, bipolar or kind of... Was like, Tadashi like, the last chef there or...? No, no. Tadashi left uh, after that. We had... Um, um, I'm forgetting. I'm sorry. All right. Don't worry. <laughs> and then we had Cyril Renault, which was right. another very interesting... Very interesting. Tell me a little episode. about Cyril. So Cyril was working for David Boulet. Right. And he had actually never um, been an executive chef. So he was a sous chef. And then we offered him, you know, the position, which was another gutsy move because he was 29 years old. You can imagine. And a kitchen's a crazy place. So anything it could is. happen. Yeah. It is. It is. But uh, Cyril brought with him this amazing burst of creativity. Like you'd go to him at the beginning of the meal and you'd say, chef... What's t today? What's ha what are you cooking? I don't know yet. As he was wow. composing the dish. <laughs> wow. Well, the Very dining room people were like. Creative and spontaneous. Yeah. Right. How do we mark the table? We don't know. But it was, it was very interesting. That drives people crazy. So you close in 2004. Yes. A sad occasion. And there's a few reasons. Yes. Why you? I mean, nobody was doing it better than you guys. I mean, right. you are, I'm making this word up, a hospitalian. I mean, yeah. hospitality totally. is, you know, your wheelhouse, the food, the creativeness staying with the times. 
But at some point, you have to close the doors, and there's a couple reasons why. Well, for before we get into that, I just want to let you know that May 22nd was the actual date that we closed the restaurant in 2004. Yes. Wait, today? Today. today wow. Is the 15th wow. anniversary of the closing of La Caramel. Uh, that's appropriate. It's a, yeah, To get to is. talk about it. I like how, how, you know. Yeah, that's good karma. Yeah, it is. Only good thoughts. Well, we had problems, uh, big problems after 9-11. The effect was amazing, The effect right? was amazing, and we tried to hang on for another two, three years, but it was really, really hard. What was the effect? People were not going out. They weren't spending money. Exactly. I mean, was, the, were the those notion, the two primary The notion things? of luxury and high-end high dining had changed. People didn't want formality anymore. You can have fine dining, but more... In the very first stage, it was all comfort food because people needed to be comforted. Is it fair to say that forced the birth of the real casual dining? I would say it got a big boost, yes. Now it's With big because millennials have a big... You know, your audience was not... Your clients were not millennials. No. They were baby boomers and post-war people right. and all of that. Right. So 9-11... And what else? 9-11, the, the, the rents, I mean, also the high cost of rents. Uh, we had high employee costs. And then I think at some point there was a brief, uh, very sad episode, the anti-French movement. Yeah. You remember French yes. fries, Liberty fries and all yeah. that? All this put <laughs> together. <laughs> that, was, that was Congress and all of that. Yeah. They wouldn't serve it in, you no. know, the uh, congressional... But uh, then, you know, NYC and company uh, did a great effort with the restaurant week and special promotions to bring people back into restaurants. Because a lot of restaurants were suffering. Yeah. A lot. I, I mean, downtown even more because of the proximity oh God, yes. physically yes. to all that was going on. It, it was on. tragic for a lot of people. But in our particular case, I would say the biggest... The, the biggest element was that the fine dining that we were part of, that brand of fine dining was no longer appealing to enough yeah. people, the formality of it. And on our end, if we had to change uh, those parts of our DNA, we wouldn't be who we were supposed to be. So right. it would be too confusing. It wouldn't, you yeah. wouldn't be what you what are set you? out to... Right. Exactly. Right. So we decided it's better to... Um, exit with a big, you know, in a big door in a nice way, in a nice official way. And we were actually nominated for Outstanding Restaurant, James Beard. The last year? The last year. Damn. Damn if, if you, you do, damn if yeah, you Yeah, we were supposed to announce the closing in March. Oh. And then we get a call that same night, the night before announcing, we get a call from the Beard, James Beard Foundation saying, you've been nominated for Outstanding Restaurant. At first, I thought it was a joke. Then I said... Okay, what do we do? We're supposed to announce we're closing. She, they said, no, whatever you do, hold on till May. So we did. And um, wow. we didn't win. Now the but James we were Beard nominated. Award is, you know, oh it's my like the, the Oscars. You totally. know, I'm sure you've been to them. They, they were recently I go in every Chicago. Year, yes. um, all right, tell me one last thing about La Caravelle. You know, we are a wine show and we're going to talk a lot about wine and champagne. But in those times, wine, sommeliers, the program were way different than now. Way different. How important was the wine and wine program then compared to now? How big was the selection? And, you know, now you walk into a restaurant, there's six sommeliers. Yes. Probably in those days, there were six in New York. Right. That's true. So we, we actually had, the, we were one of the first restaurants. And you were wine guys. So you we, we, we were actually, originally, I wasn't a wine person. But Andre came. had some Andre great was exposure handling, to Absolutely. Wine. He's very knowledgeable yeah. about wine. And he's the Chevalier du Tastevin from Burgundy. Uh, but he is the first one who, as a French restaurant, uh, featured non-French wines, starting with American wines. He's like, yeah, we live in this country. There are amazing wines in here. And then Italian, and then, you know, from other countries in the world. And that was very gutsy. So were him, they embraced? There wasn't they much were, pushback? Well, we had to do a little, you know, presentation. Well, you had and French support. wines for your people that exactly. wanted it. but We had both options, you know, all options. So, so you could say you were one of the uh, earlier restaurants to really open up the list. Absolutely, because traditionally French restaurants had only French wines, Italian restaurants had only Italian wines, etc., etc. So we wanted to be global. And we're in New York, first of all. We're in America. Of course. Yeah. You know, they want California. They know Italian. That's right. um, you know the restaurant business. Do you think the wine, as far as the business, was as important then as now? Or it was more secondary? The food was the, the I would star. say the food, the food was the primary thing. However, uh, there were not as many wines available as there right. are now. That, so now it could, a big it, factor. It, 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 
it showcases better because of did. all the options and more of the sommeliers. So it changed. But you made the move with introducing. We did, and we did ha- have, uh, we had sommeliers at La Caravelle. Toward the end, one of them was a young lady who's now um, in the South. Uh, oh, yeah. So we still keep in touch in Alabama, nice. yes. yes. Nice. Um, La Caravelle went on to become, not become, but it launched La Caravelle Champagne, which we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. But in June, um, June is Women in Wine Month, and we like to recognize, you know, women in wine. We think they're underserved. Um, That's and, amazing. You know, they're right. doing uh, great things and sometimes don't get the recognition. Um, you've been around. Um, as a woman in the business, did you encounter any challenges as a woman, being a woman? Um, I mean, do you, do, were you pushed to the side? Did you accept? I mean, do you, how, how do you answer that? I would say in my particular case, I didn't feel much of that. Okay. Because I was an owner, both of the restaurant and of the champagne brand. Right. Uh, so, honestly speaking, I cannot say that I was, you know, that I felt any discriminations or less of interest or, or things like that. So I think part of that is who you are and your personality, you know, what you exude. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> going to screw around. And I think, you know, owning the place and all of that. You see or sense anything around you or it was hard to even pick up on that? Um, it was hard to pick up on that. But when we had what uh, Susan, who was our, our, our psalm at La Caravelle, we would give her a lot of, um, I would say, prerogative to, so that she didn't have to face those things. And the guests were always asking the, the male captain, hey, how about the wine? And he said, well, here's our, our sommelier. Wait, she's the sommelier? She this would go to a table and they yes. would say, send the sommelier. People over. were very surprised to see her. So it, a young, it, beautiful woman, and knowledgeable and all that, but they didn't see that at the beginning. Yeah. But it took a little bit so of... So there was some of that, not so was. much with you. Um, do you think things have changed? I mean, for the better? I hope so. I I think so. That's not to say there aren't any cases out yeah, there. Yeah, you know? there are more women sommeliers. We know that, right? Definitely, and uh, not to be. You know, it's a fact that's been scientifically recognized that we women have a little better palate. Some women have a more no argument. For, okay, right. No so. argument. That's why you. Know. <laughs> I didn't want to be too. Pushy no, 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 on no, that, no, 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 no. I, I I agree with you. Um, that's why, you know, when you walk into a restaurant and there are psalms and there are women, guys, whatever, everyone is, you know, perfectly Absolutely, capable yeah. and all of that. Um, tell me a little about something that you're involved in. Uh, the What is it? Le Dame des Which plays into this, yes. you know, ca- subject, you know, women and wine. Exactly. You're involved for years. What is it? It's, a, it's an association of, of women who are in the hospitality business. And obviously, it includes women in wine. Um, the original chapter, interestingly enough, was in New York. It was? And we just opened a chapter in Paris, like this year. It's crazy, but uh, um, it's... A, yeah. So why wasn't it called the New York Wine Women? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Fancy schmancy name, <laughs> right? Well, we, have, we had wonderful founders, Carol Brock, who's still right. uh, around, and Julia Child was also a grand dame. Right. She was one of our, you know, early... And the, the goal and motive is to really mentor and, and elevate... Women, women and support each other, network. Also, we, ha- we, have, uh, we raise money for scholarships for young women who want to study in the industry. We mentor them and we help them as much as we can. We interact with each other, network, support, support each other, educate each other. And I would guess today interest, interest in being a member is more popular than ever, Absolutely, right? absolutely. You know, it's a big thing now. Um, that's a, that's a good organization, and it's nice that you've been involved. All right, Rita, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Rita Jamais. Rita Jamais is the chief bubble officer, which is maybe one of the great <laughs> C titles in the business of La Caravelle Champagne, which we're going to talk about. Um, you're listening to The Grape Nation. We'll be right back. This episode was brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with meeting and event spaces available for on-demand booking. 
Looking for the next perfect outdoor location for your next gathering? Host your next event at 100 Bogart's impressive rooftop, just steps away from the Morgan L Stop. It's one of the largest and tallest roof spaces in Bushwick, boasting 360-degree views of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. 100 Bogart's Rooftop is available for your next networking event, fundraiser, special performance, or photo shoot. There's approximately 5,000 square feet, ample space for up to 100 guests. For more information on hosting an event at 100 Bogart's Rooftop, email info at 100bogart.com or call 718-362-3539. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Rita Jamey. Rita, let's talk about champagne in general. We'll get to La Caravelle, sure. all right? You're a champagne expert. Tell me in your words why champagne is like no other wine. And you know what I think we should do while you're talking? Give me that little bottle and let's crack it. Absolutely. Here we go. Don't worry. So Sam's about to open our Cuvenina. So champagne for me, first of all, it's a magic. It's a magical drink. I am totally biased, and um, people who are not biased agree with me. I don't know if you're so me. biased. Uh, well, tell me why you think you're biased. Uh, because it, it, it's my life. Okay. <laughs> champagne is my life. Um, I think that champagne is, first of all, when you know, learn about champagne, what it takes to have that beautiful nectar in the bottles right. is so much work and expertise and specific climate and terroir and and uh, oh there we go people forget that it's wine it is it is wine that's fermented twice but right. it's wine so yeah when if champagne it has a happy connotation but it should just be you know enjoyed as wine not necessarily only for celebrations well that's sort of the problem it's it's been known as a celebratory drink yes but for the things that you said because it's a wine and it's so well crafted it has acidity the bubbles it's so great with food it's very food friendly very very food friendly because let's say you you have two ways to to match wine with with pear wine is either by harmony or by contrast and champagne does both Let's Explain having, that. So in having, harmony or contrast? Harmony. So harmony for, would be complementing? Harmony would be, yes, the same level of, of um, acidity, strength, sweetness. Let's say you're having, as traditionally pairing was the fish, shellfish. Because our elders lived in Champagne and they didn't taste anything else. Then that was, they had the white meats only at the max. And that's oysters, it. Oysters. Exactly. Shrimp. I mean, champagne with, with oysters, with uh, sashimi, with, with raw fish, with cooked Those fish. Those are the classic with, pairings. Exactly. And on the other hand, with the advent of global cuisine and, and kind of being exposed to different flavors, textures from all over the world, even in New York, which is like a melting pot by itself. Let's say you try a champagne with a hamburger. It's amazing. And now it'll be the contrast because the acidity, the bubbles, and the chilled temperature of the champagne will act as a counterpart to the fat in the the meat and the cheese or the richness of the bread. So So it's beautiful. People won't think that, but it has all the elements. They'll think like a Zinfandel or a Cab or something. Exactly, which would be heavy with it. So I believe this, and I know you'll agree with me, and I think you just explained it away. It's probably the most versatile Wine. Hands down. You don't worry about white or red, rosé. Hands down, exactly. You worry, I mean, it's great with popcorn, french fries, a burger. A pizza. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. Potato chips. I mean, amazing. Yeah, and I, I think it's always been around, but it's having its time. And not a time that's going to come and go. I think it now has become part of the sure. repertoire of wine list. It's opened so many possibilities. That's the beauty of it. So what changes have you seen in Champagne? Um, you know, the product, how it's used. I mean, their grower champagne is a big thing. Wine lists now have more, you know, tell me some of the changes that you've noticed that you've experienced in the business and as a consumer. You've actually put the finger on there's a, the, this new category, the, the new, it's always existed, but now it's more at the forefront, uh, the, the grower champagnes, which is, it's a beautiful addition to the landscape. Right. Only some people tend to think that grower champagne is great and the big houses are not, which is totally wrong. Well, t- 
give me your definition or explanation of what grower champagne. Grower champagne is a is a, a grower who has his own vineyards and makes the champagne, elaborates the champagne himself or herself with the grapes from their own property, their Brands own vineyards. and bottles it under their name. Exactly. Now, to your point, answer this question. Where did the big wineries get a lot of their It's a combination. Wine. You have combinations. You have big houses who oh, actually own some vineyards. So they have... But... And they also buy, right. you know, the, the, the grapes from other producers. Right. So some of the growers, other growers, some exactly. of the growers it's decide I've been, you know, contracting grapes to these guys. Exactly. Because there's not enough, you know, it's a matter of quantity. There's not enough. Are you, I know you're happy, um, but are you surprised the depth of some of the champagne lists in, in restaurants in New York? I mean, they go on for pages, Rita. Yes. I think it's wonderful because yeah. it shows the diversity of the champagne terroir and the and the winemaking, and there's so many different styles. As long, I mean, as as a consumer, what you want to do is to find the style that you <clears throat> like that makes you happy. That's the first thing I learned about wine. I was hanging out for a weekend with Clive Coates for a charity event. Right. I said, I'm going to pick his brains. So I said, Clive, what makes this a good wine? And he said, if you're, I'll pass you the, the um, I'll spare you the British accent, but if you're happy <laughs> <laughs> to go down your pocket for this much money and it's making you that happy, it's a good wine. So that was the most unintimidating and, and helpful thought because what matters is you. It's an enjoyable thing, and you know your style. You drink what's, what satisfies your style. That's it. That's all you need. And I, having I, that I diversity. Agree, and that's well put. Having that diversity in, in champagne and depth allows you to explore many different styles, and uh, I think it's wonderful. Do you feel there's still great value in champagne? Because we know there's some of the growers and producers, you know, your dear friend Krug is not a cheap champagne. I mean, we're not at the point where we think champagne has outpriced itself as a beverage. And you're going to answer that because I think La Caravelle fits in that box. But take that out of the box for a second. Um, I think you have so many... People don't realize how many inherent costs there are into producing a bottle of champagne. And especially if it's aged. That means it's the, the, your money is sleeping. It's sitting around. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Aging in those beautiful cellars, but that's uh, immobilized money. So it, it tends to be more costly. I also think that uh, the champagne making is a process that, that requires more steps, more people, more knowledge. Um, and also, especially if you have a climate, you know, uh, challenges, you need to make that up into your champagne so that it keeps its style for the big houses. Right. So for me, as, as an insider, I think it's completely justified, completely justified yeah. because it's, uh, it's worth. And I think people need to be, to learn a little more about what it takes. It takes a lot, a lot of steps and a lot of um, resources. But that being said, there's still some wonderful there is. champagnes. Absolutely, at some houses prices. don't have big marketing costs, or just right. like like uh, yours truly. Right. Um, we don't. We're lucky that we can have a, a system. Granted, it's a niche brand. It's not a right. You know, widely well, let's spread talk brand. about Le Caravelle now. So, give me a little history. You. you you launched the brand in the restaurant because yes. it made sense. Tell me the moment where you said, so we got to throw another, a label on. There's another little story about with the genesis of that. Andre's father, um, his godmother, he was, well, you know, protected for godmother. His godmother was Madame Voltner, who was the then owner of La Mission Aubryon in, in Bordeaux. <laughs> nice so they, the, the winery produced a special barrel just for the Bristol. It was really? their own proprietary, wow. ba you know, barrel. So Andre used to go with his dad to La La Halovin, the big hall, and take that, and then they would bottle it. It would be the Bristol special. So that kind of planted a, an idea in his brain. And we both love champagne, and so we thought, hey, how about we try to make, you know, have a house make a champagne for us, and then that'll be ours just for our guests, not for outside purposes, just for our guests. So that's what happened, and uh, in in what year was that? Ninety-eight, beginning so, of ninety-eight. Great idea. Great idea. A little exposure, you know, with the uh, exactly. and the idea that you could yep. do that. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Who do you reach? Out? How do you get that done? How do you get? Well, we had uh, a very good friend at the time who was in the champagne business, and his the the house that produced his champagne, the winery, agreed to make a cuvee for us. 
Who was that? So Can that was the, yeah, it was uh, La Goutte d'Or, okay. the winery La Goutte d'Or. Okay. So um, so we started with that and then carried us all the way till the closing of the restaurant. We also, in the meantime, introduced a. We had a line of cognacs, which was beautiful. Still? No, it's finished. Okay, but you have a Bordeaux we had, still. We have a Bordeaux uh, a from Listrac, exactly, made by a cooperative of Listrac, and a small production. Not every vintage is available because the winemaker only releases what he deems is the best. So when the restaurant closed, was mm-hmm. it obvious? So we thought that we had you would carry the brand on? Not at all. Not at all. Not right away. Our thinking was we close the restaurant, everything stops. Okay. And then our friends and our guests and our family were like, hey, how about, what about, why don't you work with like, you know, Market de Champagne? And the Bordeaux, I was like, that's a totally different situation. I'm I'm in the restaurant business. Now I'm going to be in the wine business. It's so different. Was that scary to you? It was super scary. The biggest scare for me was, in addition to all the technical steps to make it happen, was to be a salesperson. I do not like to I knew like you were going to gonna say that. I don't like to. I like to promote, which is very different from selling. And um, The funny thing is, tough. though, I bet you still feel that. But you're so cut out as a people person in the way you connect. But it's still, but you, you still know, get my, a little pit. I do. My approach is, at the end of the day, if you don't really want the wine, I'm not going to go twist your arm or force Softer my way. Sell. Softer sell. The product has to speak for itself. Okay. And, of course, our friendship will open a door or help the connection. But the, the, the product itself has to be the one that makes, makes you take that decision. Well, I guess two things happened. Um, a lot of great connections and contacts from the restaurant yes yes and through the years when you got started i mean i don't know if network is the word but you're Mm. really out there you really know people in the business i mean walking into a psalm somebody you know yes whether they buy it or not it's one thing but the connection exactly exactly you know you know the the restaurant world and hospitality was my world right and then when the caravel closed I was like, I don't want to leave this world. It's too full of wonderful people, and it's my natural instinct to but be you hospitable. you had to sell, though. I had to sell. All right, so, so <laughs> La Caravelle is a brand that started in the restaurant, mm-hmm. and you currently, or you've had three different bottlings. Yes. Let's talk about um, each. Sure. You, you slot them in any order that you want. Okay. So if you're going to go by intensity, Do flavor that. intensity, first, yep. so we will start with the Blanc de Blanc. Um, is 100% Chardonnay, which comes from That's the Côte Blanc de Blanc. De Blanc means exactly, because any. Chardonnay is the white grape, right. and, the, and so Blanc is white. And it's um, it's actually a beautiful champagne. Because it's aged for three years, and so it's really, it's got wonderful notes of, of it's very fresh, and, and it's got beautiful acidity, but not too sharp either. Okay. So that's the thing we always wanted to achieve is balance. In, in the flavors. Now, we'll talk about the three, but is the production of one more than another? Or? I would say the Blanc de Blanc is the one that is the least, uh, just because it's oh, a, it little more, okay. a little more, um, I'm not say esoteric, but less people are familiar okay. with it, you know. All right, so that's the Blanc de Blanc, Blanc, Blanc. 100% then we go, Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. So it's the La Caravelle Blanc de Blanc. La Caravelle Blanc de Blanc, okay. yes. Then, then we, we have the Cuvée Nina. Okay. Cuvenina is a, the we call it a, the brut, even though all three are in the brut category. It's a blend of the three most, uh, you know, the largest grape in Champagne is Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. So Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier are red grapes, right? And they each bring you know an element to the to the the blend, and that's why I always like to start tasting the Blanc de Blanc. Then we go to Cuvenina to see what the Pinot Noir and the Pinot Meunier, which will bring a little structure and a little bit of, of uh, more fruit. And Does the blending vary much? I mean, do you keep the blending similar for a style or it depends on the vintage and what's I would available? Say yes, yes and no. The, the base blend is the same. Granted, it might vary a couple of points depending right. on... The year, the climate, if the ripeness. But not, of the not a, no, not, okay. not major. And you do want to maintain uh, the same style unless you're doing it for one year, you know, the vintage. Right. So then the Cuvenina's aged for two years. 
and in the bottle. How'd you come up with Cuvée Nina? So Caravelle is the type of ship that Christopher Columbus sailed on when he discovered the New World, okay. and his three ships, three Caravelle ships, were named Nina, Pinta, Santa Maria. Here's the Nina. That's it. Okay. We thought it was fun instead of calling it the no, tradition I like that. or but, but it's more fun if people understand Absolutely. where it comes from. It so does take an explanation. You. Yeah. All right. So that's the second wine, yeah. and then the third the one. The third one is the rosé, which I like to call double magic because not just the the bubbles and the happiness. I think when about people it, think of you and La color. Caravelle, they think of the rosé too. Not to diss the other right, two, but yeah. So rosé is you can make rosé champagne two two methods. There are two methods. One is the the blending type, which is what we have. They take the same the base blend of the Cuvenina and they blend in still Pinot Noir wine, right? To make it to make the rosé. Okay. And it's the only area in the world where you can do that, by the way. Right. Other, and then there's the other method is the bleeding method, which is helps with color. The color when you leave the red grapes Tell me long what bleeding enough, bleeding is the skin of the red grapes, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier. Uh, the will they will seep the color of the skin will seep into the wine. So skin if you leave contact, it long enough, you exactly. leave it in. Okay, yeah, that's the other method of okay. making. Yeah. Um, so that's the um, rosé. Yes. Um, and then quickly, you make a red Bordeaux from the region of Listrac. Listrac in the Medoc. Why? I mean, why did you decide? It just so happened. Uh, it was. It came our way. It's not something we were looking for, but it, it just so happened that uh, one of our friends who was one of the biggest wine buyers at the time stumbled upon this, this um, cuvee and vineyard. It was actually called Caravelle. Oh, really? So we talked and we said, you know what? This is good. It's good. The price was super attractive as Let's well. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So it's a Merlot, predominantly Merlot based, which is a little rounder. Then it's got also Cabernet Sauvignon nice. and a little Petit Verdot. Yeah. Nice. Um, so that's La Caravelle Listrac. Listrac. If people want to get more information, where's the best place for them to look? Is there a website? There's is our there website, uh, lacaravelle.com. Okay. Social um, media, I'm pretty, yeah. Well, we'll get to that you know, in a minute. Okay. Um Available retail, available yes. in a lot of New York restaurants. Yes. You know, kudos about to you 80, for getting the product out there. Thank you. Um, so if you are out and about in New York and in some other cities um, and you want a delicious champagne at a great value, um, you know, look out for La Caravelle. We're big champagne fans on the Grape Nation. Um, Rita, we do a thing called the wine list. We ask our guests five questions. Everyone gets the same, same five questions. Don't dwell on them. Mm-hmm. Don't You don't have to give okay. long answers. We're running out of time, and okay. I want to get this in, and I want to talk. You know, let's okay. evaluate the Nina for a minute or two in our wine sip. Um, so let's buzz through these. The problem is I'm throwing a ringer in. It's called the wine list, but this is the special Rita Jamais wine and champagne. So there's potentially Uh-oh. a wine answer and a champagne. Okay. All right. So the first question is, what's Rita drinking now? What is she trying? What's the season pushing on her? What's in her fridge? What's got your attention? In addition to champagne. Yes. Then. In addition to champagne. I happen to love um, Lopez de Heredia, which is a Spanish is, wine. Oh, Lopez de Heredia. Lopez okay. de Heredia, yes. Okay. Delicious wine. So Spanish There's wine. Spanish wine. There's a, a Chablis that I'm very fond of. It's called Moro Nodé. Okay. It's actually, you recognize the label. It's like the okay Spell sign. for me. M-O-R-E-A-U hyphen n-a-u-d-e-t oh Moreau, is yeah. that the that's the one that the does, hand yes exactly okay. the hand. um i tell this to everyone i will post your answers because people love to you right. know kind of follow up on your recommendations anything else um i always love burgundy burgundy okay. volnay okay uh, is my, yeah like, yeah my those go-to. are good ones <laughs> um now champagne non la caravelle what do you like I love uh, Krug. I love uh, Laurent Perrier Grand Siècle, this beautiful cuvée. I had lunch with Michelle DeFeo. Oh, good. And she introduced a whole bunch of new Grand Six. They're beautiful. They were beautiful. There were three or four of them. It was nice to taste them. Beautiful champagne. And I know you're close to the Krug family. All right, Rita. Rita Jamais' favorite wine and food pairing. And then give me a favorite champagne and food pairing. Food and wine, meaning which the type of food to start yeah, with. Yeah, what's a great pairing? What what's do you like? Um, you. With champagne or not? Give me wine first and give me champagne. Okay. Um, not what you think is a good idea, what you like. The, uh, uh, oysters and Chablis. Okay. 
So that's your wine. That's my wine. We have a rule that you can't say oysters and champagne because it's good. too good and too obvious. Good. So for champagne, besides for, for oysters. For champagne, I would say um, sushi or, okay. bur- or, or burger. Okay. So you had mentioned burger earlier. We're, we're begging people to try a nice champagne with a burger. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. Um, this is a tough question for you, and I don't want you to be exclusive meaning leaving anyone out of friends so do your best we ask people their favorite wine restaurant and or bar that has great attention to wine champagne they're knowledgeable their selection the environment um does anything jump off the charts for you now i've been following you for a while and you have a pattern you favor certain (laughs) places I mean, you know your stuff, but you're at some places more than others. I would say Le Bernardin, Jean-Georges, for sure. Um, Flora, great restaurant, Flora Bar. great wine. Flora Bar. Okay. Very interesting wine list. Esoteric wines. Good answer. Which I love, too. Give me one more. Um, um, Union Square Cafe. Okay. That's uh, Josh Wagner, I think? Yes. Jo- yeah. Jason. Jason. Jason Wagner, Wagner yeah. right. He does a good job with wine. All right. Good answers. All right. Favorite, you got to give me two answers here. And it doesn't have to be just one if it's more than one. But one for champagne, one for wine. Rita's favorite all-time wine and favorite all-time champagne. Favorite all-time wine is uh, Volnay from Dangerville. Any particular Les vintage? Les Champons. Um, 08. Okay, but that or wine, 15, th- th- that's a favorite anyway. That's a favorite. Great answer. And then besides Le Caravel. Give me a champagne, an all-time favorite. With vintage you want or not well, necessarily? Well, I, I, I think there's two answers. I think favorite all-time champagne and is there or was there a vintage that you remember? I would say in the rosé, I would say uh, Laurent Perrier for their rosé. They're very well known. Cuvée Alexandre, rosé. yes. That's okay. beautiful rosé. Um, and then I really, I really like the Krug style. Very okay. much so. Whether it's the Grand Cuvée or it's the Claude du Menil or Claude Ambonnet, they're just That's the way you answer that, Rita. All right, last question, and I'm going to make this easy for you. The question is, recommend the best wine around 15 20 bucks. Now, I'm going to push that question off the table, and I'm going to say to you, Recommend the best champagne values, and I'll answer it first. Le Caravelle is a champagne that's accessible, that's wonderful, and it's priced right. I don't want to send people to your competitors, but can you think of other good value champagnes? What's good for 30, 40, 50 bucks? 30, 40, 50 bucks. Um, Perrier Jouet, probably. Okay. Is a good, Solid? good value. Solid. Okay. Uh, Tétanger, I'm not sure, but I think they're, they're beautiful champagnes. They may I'm not sure about something. the prices. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you can get champagnes in that price range. You can. Okay. All right. Rita, did a very good job. Thank you. And I like the little fear in your face for a moment. <laughs> That's the whole point of it. I want to make sure I do a good job no, you and did represent a great job. myself. All right. We're going to wrap up. Before we wrap up, we do a thing called the Weekly Wine Sip. And... Uh, it's a chance for us to taste wine on the air every week, and it always makes sense when our guest is involved in it. So let's do the, uh, you want to do the Nina, or you want to open that? Um, we, can, we can open, we have the Nina open. Don't open we? that, keep that. No. We'll, we'll talk about the Nina, or whichever one you want. Yeah, no, let's do this okay. one. I brought it with me. Somewhere. All right, so we tasted the Cuvée Nina. Um, let's g- give me a couple of quick vitals on that. Um, retail, a bottle of the Cuvée Nina is about... Cuv- uh, it's around 35 So there's an incredible value yes. for an incredible uh, champagne, and we're drinking that now. Because Cuvée Nina is a Blanc de Blanc, and we did mention it quickly, but tell people again what would be a great food pairing. I'll do it. Rita's trying to open. Because I had shoulder surgery. I'll be the expert one. So, yeah, the Blanc de Blanc. Blanc de Blanc can be, do you want contrast or you want harmony? You got both? I got both, okay. Uh, My favorite is with um, the Blanc de Blanc, I would say, with caviar and and, and potato chips. Okay. Not separately. Together or caviar itself. 
right. caviar like in this with a with a mother of pearl spoon. So blanc de blanc, a little tin of caviar, uh-huh. and potato little, chips is always, your delivery vessel, yes, right? So yes. you put the caviar and then exactly. you just, or you the can have salt, the caviar as is. Potato chip, the saltiness, fat. the fat. Yeah. Okay. And Rita, you know, Rita likes to hang out with the Petrosians. So she's, <laughs> I do. She's, she's hooked into caviar. All right. So, Rita, we're, we, we tasted the Nina. We are tasting the Blanc de Blanc, Blanc de now, Blanc. right? Yeah. Tell me a little about this. So the Blanc de Blanc being that it's aged for three years, uh, it gives time to that single grape, the, the Chardonnay, which is delicate grape. It's the one that has the, the most acidity. Uh, but then with the with the time that spends in the bottle, the, the, the flavors are kind of evolving with a little brioche. And I was a little, just going to say, yeah, compared almond. to the Nina, you get that classic, classic biscuity, exactly, brioche yeah. baked Gingerbread yeasty. maybe even yeah. a little bit. And yeah. then at the end, you'll get that and acidity nose, that comes in. Th- yes. There's a nice strong White flowers in yep. the nose. Yep. I like to say yuzu. Mm. Uh, it's very fragrant. When you think about that citrus or that sweetness, yeah. it's not like lemon or Meyer. It's it's, it's yuzo or something. Citrus with floral, a little bit. All right, tell me. Um, wait, did we just pair for Blanc de Blanc or Nina? I forgot. Blanc de Blanc. Okay, okay. so let's go backwards on the Nina. On the Nina, I uh, really like pizza with it. A okay, lot. the Nina more than the Blanc de Blanc. Yes. Okay. Yes. And also the nina and then the rosé with red meats. You can have the rosé with barbecue or even the nina with barbecue, with a steak, with lamb, burgers. So our message here is, and we could probably sit, we're going to have to wrap up, but we could probably sit with Rita another hour or two. The message is that champagne is very versatile. Yes. We've recommended some foods that people wouldn't, think of Mm -hmm. to pair with it and that you should think about drinking more champagne it goes instead of going to a restaurant (laughs) with a white and a red right bring a champagne and a red absolutely bring a champagne and a white absolutely can you think of a better way to kick off a meal forget the celebratory part no but the pairing and all yeah champagne should be just because drink not for an occasion okay and look out for um la caravelle um, Rita, we're going to wrap up. I'm going to ask you to give me some information, but hold on for a sec. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. Follow us on Instagram at sbenruby. That's me and the hashtag The Grape Nation. On Twitter, it's at benruby and the hashtag The Grape Nation. Also, subscribe to our podcasts, The Grape Nation Podcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. As I said earlier, and I think you'd like to dig into this, we'll post Rita's wine list, and I will list um, Rita's champagnes and some of the pairings um, on our social media. You'll see it on Facebook. You'll see it on uh, Instagram. Rita, if we want to follow you and the La Caravelle brand, on social. On social. We talked, you can go to the website, sure. Caravelle. Sure, but sure. where can we find you? So Instagram, Rita Jamais. Okay, at Rita Jamais? At Rita Jamais, R-I-T-A-J-A-M-M-E-T. Right. And then at La Caravelle Champagne. Okay. And Insta- you have a terrific hashtag because you eat a lot of champagne and you drink a lot of champagne. Other than Lucky you, Rita? Yes. <laughs> you, you could look at Lucky Rita too. Then it uh, goes to like Lucky La Caravelle Champagne too. Right. And wait, wh- what's the handle Caravelle Champ? Caravelle Champ is Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. And but that's one of your older ones. I love it because yeah. my son came up with that and I love the double meaning. All right. So before we wrap up... Let's talk 30 minutes about your son. You have more than one son, but I want to talk about one particular one. And I wanted to talk anyway, but there was a wonderful story on CBS this morning. Um, Is it Nicholas? Nicholas. Nicholas is one of the principals. He's one of the co-founders of Sweet Green. Sweet Green. Mm -hmm. And Sweet Green, the concept, just quickly. Sweet Green is a fast casual that was founded uh, 11 years ago by three students from Georgetown who did not were tired of not having healthy and good dining options. So they came up with this. It now has 94 yeah. uh, it's locations. It's ubiquitous in New York. It's, yeah. I was just going into Hudson Yards, and there it yes. was. Oh, yes. You know, right there. Um, and the story that I saw this morning, and it's 
more than admirable is they've devised for their employees that you get five months leave. Yep. For, for Enough where it's so uncommon that it, yes. it's a news story. Yes. And you build loyalty and people. Yes. Through offering things like that. So Rita, besides making good champagne, has some pretty good offspring, too. <laughs> All right, Rita, I want to thank you for being our guest today. Thank, thank you, you to Rita Jamey. Thank you for having me. Yes, it was a pleasure. And My pleasure. I will have to have you back because we have to cover a lot of other things. Just uh, say when. Rita is the uh, owner of La Caravelle Champagne. Um, she is the chief bubble officer. Um, so thank you for coming in and spending time with us. Thank you to our engineer, Matt, on the board today. And thank you to everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. And thank you, Sam, and to all the listeners. Thank cheers, you. everyone. Bubbly cheers. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.